Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. I want you to do it. Why? I always do it. I want you to do it. All right, I'll do it. All right. <clears throat> Gotta clear the throat. Here he goes. It's it's a ritual now. It's a it's a backing up. It's a to the side. It's clear the throat. It's a get a lozenge. Hold on. It's a get a moist towelette and to wipe the boogies away. And now I'm alone. Well, I'm alone now. Corey's gone, and I wanted to welcome you all to the weekly warrior podcast. Oh, now he's got a sword. Let it be known that Corey Mueller is now naked with a sword in the booth. Isn't that right, Corey? It felt right. It felt right? Yeah. It felt pure. It did. It looked good. Thank you. You see my biceps in this, in this shirt holding this sword? Look at that shit. You're going to have a lozenge in here? Okay. Yep. So, <sighs> Jesus, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you naked? That's what I'm wondering. I, well, you, you can only see my with a sword, my neck and my head. Everything yeah, else, I know. Is, but you you just got up and went. Well, all you're wearing is like an origin shirt right now, because I know that because you just went up and got yeah. the sword. It's a it's a new thing. So in the hunting industry, it's called uh, be the bear, and you're taking after Winnie the Pooh, and so basically, it's a way. That you can tell the the direction of the wind. So, if the wind's on your ass, it's bad. If the wind's on your pecker, that's good. Mm. So, always put your pecker in the wind. <laughs> gotta, you gotta poo bear that. It's called yeah. Be the bear. You just straight shirt dicking it out there. Now that is getting into touch with nature. That is like ancestral living. Truly, there's actually so it's funny that we've gone down this little fun tangent. There is a guy who elk hunts naked out west. I don't know the guy's name. Don't sure, know anything sure about him. Several. Yeah. He elk hunts naked um, with a bow, and he. It's like, yeah, I, you definitely can tell where the wind's coming from with that. <laughs> wow, is he on Instagram? I God, I hope not. Ah. I bet he'd be popular. How do you know about it then? What have you been searching? <laughs> I uh, listened to the Meat Eater podcast and I heard them uh-huh. tell the story about it on that. Oh, yeah. Meat Eater, huh? That's right. That's the Meat cool. Eater. It's pretty cool, man. It's off to a good start. Well, <laughs> this is off to a great start. We wanted to record uh, an episode today. And so that's what we're doing. And we can do whatever we want. So here we are again. Uh, Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast with your host, me, Jared Bones Bradford, and Corey Bartholomew Teddy Roosevelt Mueller. Corey has a sword again. Mm-hmm. Just so the audience knows, I, I am very sick <laughs> and very loopy. We're delirious here. 
That's all right. Well, all let's right. get started. So yeah. we've been uh, we've been we've been watching a cool show. We talked about it a couple weeks ago is the Rings of Power. I don't know how many others are watching it, but it seems to be a lot. Even if you're not a big Lord of the Rings fan, it's a pretty cool show, and it's really moving along now. If you have ever watched Lord of the Rings, you will kind of pick up on certain scenes of like places and stuff like that. It's kind of a cool connections. Um, good story so far. I'm really liking it, and I'm not a huge fan nerd but i'm a casual nerd and fan uh so it's been good i especially love the doors you're you're middle of the road like tolkien fan yeah i'd say, probably say like when it comes to like upper earth or lower earth fans i'm like middle earth fan yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yep Actually, yeah. that's a good you like that yeah that was good yeah. i like that what flavor is your lozenge they are just the original ricolas Ricola. That's the one. Like the the citrus or honey or something? No, there. I don't even know. It's just a mix of a bunch of different herbs and honey and whatever. Oh, citrus. Yeah, it's good that you still have straight off the Swiss Alps uh, picked Mm -hmm. plants right off the Swiss Alps. Yep. Yep. Well, what do you think about the Rings of Power? You are a bigger nerd. You know all about it. Yeah. Um. Most of the most of it so far has been like six out of ten TV. I haven't hated it, but I have yeah. only loved some of it. <laughs> uh, I think we talked about it. Did we talk about it right after it started? I think uh, first two episodes came out. I think we talked a little bit about it then. My thoughts haven't changed too much since then. I think it's okay. Uh, it's fun to be in Middle Earth as usual. I think it's actually most of it's better than The Hobbit. The dwarves, the dwarven storyline and Elrond really is carrying it for me right now. Uh, if it wasn't for yeah. that, I wouldn't be really into it. The The rest of it has not been all that great consistently, so which is unfortunate, but I'm enjoying it mostly. Yeah, I've really liked watching. I watched we watched uh, the downfall of the Southlands. Which yeah. is like a cool little surprise if you didn't know what the Southlands were changing into. You watched the downfall of that and what it became. And what's it's a very popular place in Lord of the Rings. So I thought that was amazing and cool. And there's a lot of cool different characters and stuff. So to I'm enjoying it. But, before uh, door become Mordor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or less door become Mordor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> less door become Mordor. Yeah. So uh, another great thing that we just watched, Hocus Pocus two. Oh Jesus! You guys watch Hocus Pocus two yet? No, I I read really bad reviews about it, so no, I didn't even. Don't listen to that shit. What the fuck? No, who would who? Okay, who was reviews are you reading? Somebody who even... loves Lord of the Rings? No, because yeah, it doesn't compare. It's different. Hocus Pocus two, I heard, was a bastardization of the first one, and it should never no, have been not. made. <laughs> no, it's not. It was, I thoroughly, I very rarely put my phone down for an entire movie and watch everything. And this was a movie that I put my phone down really? and watched it. People, people need to stop complaining and stop being so pissy. Because well, it's a classic with you movie, the first one. It's a classic movie. The first one is like cult classic. And yeah. it, it's not as good as the first one. The magic is not there. But it's still a good movie. The sisters are hilarious. They're fun. The little zombie guy is back. He's fun. There's like his, there's like a history, like when the sisters are like young in like the 1600s or something or whatever. That was pretty fun, and uh, it was it was just a movie. Is Mr. Banks back? He's not. Although they uh, kind of like poked at it, 
they kind of poked at it and I was hoping there was going to be a reveal, but there wasn't. And I thought that was probably for the best because it wouldn't make sense for him to come back because he went to the nether world or whatever. He crossed over. So that's, I guess he did. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was good, you know, and it was, of course, Disney fied down to like, um, there was some singing, not a lot and they didn't do bad at it. It was mostly like parody singing, which was kind of funny. And then I was, I guess the only weird thing is like they could, I could totally see them doing like a hocus pocus offshoot show or something with the new characters they brought in, which I'm like, man, I'll probably never watch that, but it was a good movie. Yeah, I think the first one was just so classic for me growing up and for you too. I mean, that came out when we were kids and uh, it was spooky and kind of messed up and fun. Yeah, I I don't know. Like sequels to movies like that are hard for me because and because we grew up with them. So it's like mm-hmm. I almost don't want to ruin the original. Well, it won't ruin the original, but I mean, it's kind of like. Dumb and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber, or yeah, Dumb and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber or, two. Like, okay, yeah. Dumb and Dumber, you'll never ever touch it. You'll never touch it. You can't. No, it was just gold rush. Like once yeah. the gold's gone, it's gone. Yep. It'd be like if they tried to make a sequel to Escanaba and to Moonlight or something. Yeah, like why? Could you imagine someone yeah. trying to make a no. sequel to that? It'd be horrible. Yeah, It'd it really horrible. would be. And it's just like it's just. There's not necessary. At some point, it's not necessary. Hocus Pocus 2, probably not necessary. But for what it is, solid movie. Yeah. Solid watch. Entertaining. Fun. Yeah. Well, speaking of Escanaba and Moonlight, are you ready to get into our topic for today? Sure. So, we are here today. I had some, put some thought into this and decided to, to do a little branch of the Weekly Warrior podcast. So, we talk about all things good here. We talk about history. We talk about health. We talk about fitness. What else do we talk about, Bones? You. <laughs> you talk about me. Talk about you. Uh, talk about Connor. All sorts of cool stuff. And <laughs> part of that fun adventure is following along with the various things that we find interesting and that we connect to. One of those things that we definitely all connect to is nature. And and we can we all do it in lots of different ways. And one of the ways that I've chosen to connect with nature is through hunting. And last year was my first successful hunting season. Bones and I talked about it on episode 116, the essential hunting experience. And since then, things have escalated a bit. <laughs> As uh well, you might not be able to see it, but I'm currently wearing camouflage. Which, if you would have known me about 10 years ago, you wouldn't have caught me dead in camouflage. Um, Origin USA just came out with a camouflage hunting line, so I decided to bite the bullet and get into it. Um, but yeah, decided to get into archery hunting, and it's something that I've wanted to get into for a while. I had a bow for like four years, and it kind of just sat in my closet. I shot it one time, never did anything with it. and. This year, I read a book called Endure by Cameron Haynes, who's probably the world's best bow hunter, and it really motivated me to get the bow out and start you know, getting after it with, uh, with a different way of connecting to your food once again. And a wise man once told me that rifle hunting is meant for filling tags, but you truly become a hunter when you pick up a bow and you head into the woods. 
And so this sort of side branch of the Weekly Warrior is going to be sort of focused on that. We got a new logo and everything. Pretty sick. Uh, going to have some different guests on. Bones is going to be on here talking to me about some hunting stuff. Uh, I got some other friends who are fairly new into hunting and some who are also uh, more experienced. And then on top of that, I also have a couple of expert, like in this case, whitetail experts lined up to do some interviews uh, to bring some really fascinating information about the animals themselves. So yeah, it's kind of like a little mini passion project for me uh, that I wanted to explore a little bit more on the podcast. So that's cool. You know, I think it's all about the camo cargo shorts. I think that's what Origin <laughs> needs to do next. Get a nice, like, utility short. Nice. Well, Cam Haynes, who I was telling you about, he's the, the bow hunter that wrote that book. He was sponsored by Under Armour, right? And so Under Armour, he was Under Armour's flagship for their hunt line. He dropped Under Armour as a sponsor and picked up mm-hmm. Origin. And he's already, they sent him pants, obviously, to wear. And he's yeah. cut them off. They're like booty shorts now he runs in them because he's an ultra marathon runner i'm like bro thousands of people are they can't even get their pants yet from origin because they're still trying to make them and you've cut yours up into fucking booty shorts that's cool man yeah yeah Yeah. i mean he's the guy to he's got a he's got a he's got the access to him you know first in line yeah he him and jocko are both we're both pretty much first in line Mm -hmm. so i've ordered um like six pieces of their camo line. I've only gotten two so far because they've had, I mean, they're getting the stuff that, you know, the textile that they have to then cut and sew into garments. So yeah, but yeah, so that's cool. So what is, um, what, what's the difference between bow and gun hunting then? What will I seasons or what? Yeah. What's the difference? Uh, the biggest part is it's broken up by seasons. Um, in Michigan, bow season starts October 1st and goes through until January 1st, so it's a pretty long season. Um, okay. Rifle season in Michigan is only two weeks long, so uh, November 15th through November 30th is general rifle season for deer, and then okay. you can't use a bow during that time, But uh, and then there's like a muzzleloader season and whatever, so there's basically more opportunity to go out and be in the woods and do your thing yeah. with a bow. And there's lots of differences between bow hunting and rifle hunting, obviously. But uh, as far as seasons go, that's how it's split up. And every state pretty much does that. Uh, Colorado or most places out West have an early bow season for elk, which starts like first of September and goes till mid September. And then um, I, I'm not super educated on how their seasons work, but um it's just more opportunity to get outside. Yeah. Do you need a special tag to go have like early bow season or something or no, no, you just buy your regular tags You can't. So like it gets tricky. You, if you were to go, let's, so let's say I go out to into the woods and I shoot a deer with my bow. It's not a fatal shot. I couldn't take my pistol and like finish the job because technically I would have taken that with a firearm, which is then illegal. So um, there's not a special tag, but you just have to follow. There's a lot of basic rules that you just have to not be a dumbass about. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what's what's the upside of 
I guess shooting, hunting with a gun upside, just from my incredibly smart brain, is that you can shoot something longer, further away, right? Yeah. More accurate. Yep. Um. So that's that's a huge up huge upside because yep. you have more chance of getting a deer, but that also makes it easier in a way. Uh, yeah. So what's a potential upside of hunting with a bow, whether it be aim of ease or like skill or reward or something? Yeah, I think all of the above so far. I mean, granted, I haven't harvested anything with a bow yet, but um, the the amount of work that it takes to have a successful bow hunt is vastly like greater than with a rifle a lot of times you go out you sit in a blind with a rifle deer comes within 200 yards done it's over you know it's easy uh and it's not always that easy but that's the general idea with a bow you have to know well enough where the deer are moving by and that means you have to scout more so you have to go put on miles to figure out where they are where they're moving this and that. And then on, on, on top of that, shooting with a bow in general is harder than shooting a gun. Shooting a gun, realistically, you can train someone how to shoot a rifle, like a hunting rifle, in an afternoon. Shooting a bow yeah. well takes months or, or years, depending on how you do it. Um, like I've chosen to hunt with a recurve bow, which in the, in the bow hunting world, there's m- multiple multiple different kinds so there's compound bow which is a more modern style bow and then traditional archery which is like long bows recurve bows stuff like that and then crossbows which mm-hmm. you know crossbows technically fall under archery but at this point in history crossbows like you can literally shoot a deer 150 yards away with a good crossbow and so it's yeah. not really super sporting like i get their place in the in the hunting world um like for older people or maybe disabled folks, like great, get you out into the woods, get you out into a hunting experience. I think that's cool. Um, but the technology, even compound bows, though, like Kaiser making hundred yard kill shots on elk with a with a compound bow. Um, and I think that's why I picked up with traditional archery is because it's just so much harder, and there's so much more. Fair, it's like fair chase. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the deer have a much better chance at outsmarting me and getting away than I do killing them. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, I just wanted an excuse to get outside and into the woods more um, and learning a new skill. And uh, archery is super fun and it's not as expensive as shooting a gun. So it's like a sure. it's a fun hobby that's a little bit cheaper to get into. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like a huge wave and just our world in general of like doing things kind of like scaling things back a bit, doing things more like raw, natural or how they used to do it. Yeah. Do you think that's reflective in why you pick traditional? Like, because I mean, I could see 10 years ago, like having a sick compound bow or something. I mean, even today, they're probably pretty cool. Oh, my but, like, God. It's just they're like super cool cars in some way or like our phones or our pictures that we we're looking at. Like there's a huge like wave of like 90s trend like nostalgia gray yeah. type of things i yep. think that's reflective in a lot of other things so maybe this too where like a traditional bow is like uh you get to feel like the draw of the string more feel the bow yeah. like arrow release um, yep. you have to work harder for it um yep. i don't know that makes it's sense um to me. 
when I look at like, con- and there's nothing wrong with compound archery. My friend Tristan, who you'll hear on the, the podcast, these episodes to come, he hunts with a compound bow. A lot of guys hunt with a compound bow. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But the way I looked at it is, A, it's more, way more expensive. And I wasn't looking yeah. to get super financially invested into this. So with a compound bow, you've got to buy a release, which is basically like a trigger. Uh, the bow itself is more expensive than a recurve bow. And I don't know, just all, all in all, like I, I wanted the experience like of going out there in as almost as primitive form as I can and experiencing that because with hunting with a yeah. recurve, that's kind of what you're getting and you do have to be more skilled, um, and practice a lot more and all, you know, all that. So like I, you mentioned connecting with the past a little bit more. I definitely feel that when I go out and shoot my bow, I feel very connected to, you know, humanity from a, a, a different time. Um, and that's definitely part of it. When you, when you walk into the woods with a recurve bow, there's a different level of like badassness that you feel too. Cause most people go out with a crossbow or a compound bow and I'm walking out there with a stick and a string attached to it. And, um, and realistically I have as good a chance as they do. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah. So why talk more about why you want to be, why you even want to do that? Why do you want to go out there with a traditional recurve bow? Why do you want to connect back to more primitive time to hunt this deer? Yeah, I think that most of our modern world is so disconnected to, you know, where we came from and what the past is and whatever. Um, I have, I've had the experience now to, to harvest two deer with a rifle. And that was a super awesome experience. And I definitely plan on doing it again. And the feeling that you get from hunting like that even is hard to explain. And I can't even, I can't even imagine what it's going to feel like to harvest with a recurve bow because, you know, that's what, I don't know, for thousands of years, humans hunted game with longbows or uh, like recurve bows or whatever. And the bow and arrow is so basic and so connected to humanity's history that you kind of feel that when you go out and you've got it and it's not as high tech and it's not as fancy and and you don't you're not able to make as long of shots with it um but that's part of the challenge and that that's what i wanted out of this i i didn't decide to get into bow hunting because i was like oh yeah that's gonna be easy and it'll be something fun to do on like my one day off like i knew what i was getting into with this world of especially traditional traditional archery yeah hmm. so it's about mostly about the challenge at that yeah. point yep yeah and i definitely felt that there's there's a lot of different styles for traditional archery too like within traditional archery there is so much complexity too and in a lot of ways i have taken an easier route because typically to get good with traditional archery, there's, like I said, there's different styles of shooting, like gap shooting or instinctive or string walking. Uh, so there's different styles. And I have adapted a, uh, a newer style that's come out within the last couple of years that's called the fixed crawl method. And 
basically you're combining gap shooting, which I can explain, and string walking into one like beautiful method, which is way more ethical, I think, for uh, for traditional hunters when they go out into the woods. So if you want, I can explain what gap shooting and string walking is. So that you're talking about like a way of shooting the bow? Yeah. Okay. So What's gap shooting. Gap shooting is essentially so when you pull your bowstring back, right, you've got your fingers. Gap shooting is typically a three under, so three fingers under the arrow. So when you knock the arrow on the string, before you pull the bowstring back, depending on the, what style you're using, there's either three under or split finger. So split finger is one finger over the arrow and two fingers under. And three fingers under is three fingers under where the arrow is knocked. So gap shooting, basically, what it is, you keep your three fingers at the base of where the arrow is knocked. And then it's just a matter of physics and geometry, which (laughs) I don't really understand. But think about it like this. At five yards, you have to figure out where your gap is. So if I'm five yards away and I want to hit a target in in the bullseye, (coughs) excuse me, I have to figure out, okay, my gap is going to be such and such amount of inches. So what I do is I aim the bow with the tip of the arrow right at the bullseye. When I let go, I see where my arrow impacts. So when I execute the shot, my arrow impacts six inches high, and I was aiming at the bullseye, right? So what that means is on my next shot, I'm going to aim the tip of the arrow six inches below the bullseye and execute my shot. And chances are it's going to be right there. So that's your gap. And as you move back, so at 10 yards, your gap is going to change. And at 15 yards, your gap is going to change. And at 20 yards, your gap is going to change. Most bows are set for uh, your point on. So when I say a point on distance, that means you look at the tip of the arrow. And when you aim the tip of the arrow at the target, your point, like you're aiming where the the arrow is going to go. So most bows are set up for a 40-yard point on. So if you're, if you're three fingers under, you're 40 yards away, you can pretty much aim the bow or the arrow right at the target or the bullseye, execute the shot, and you'll hit it. But from 40 yards and under, you have to figure out those gaps because the mm-hmm. arrow is flying through the air on an arc. So you have to figure that out. So that's essentially what gap shooting is. That's like the, <laughs> the quick and dirty version of it. And yeah. I, I tried gap shooting for a little bit. Um, and it was effective. It took more practice, but the problem with that is when you're out in the woods and a deer is walking, so it's con- it's changing distances as you're sitting there and you're trying to calculate like, shit, now it's 10 yards, shit, now it's seven yards, shit, now it's whatever. Instead of doing that, the way I chose to set up is I don't have those calculations to make. I just have one calculation to make essentially, well, two, which I'll get to. So that's gap shooting. Uh, The next form is string walking. And string walking is also a three under method. And basically, you you pull the arrow back, uh, you draw the bow, and but before you do that, you walk on the string with your three fingers. So I'm going to, let's say I go, let's say I'm shooting at, you know, 20 yards and I want to hit a point on distance. 
or I want to hit a point on it 20 yards. So I'm aiming the tip of my arrow right at the, t- at the bullseye. I'm going to walk my fingers down the string, like, you know, an inch and a half or whatever it's going to be. So that way, so if the arrow is knocked here, you're going to pull your fingers down an inch and a half. It's going to look kind of weird because your fingers are an inch and a half below where the arrow is knocked. But that changes the launch trajectory. So your arrow actually, because your string is pulled back in a different way, it changes the launch trajectory in a way that allows it to fly more straight to the target rather than you're relying on the like equation to do the with the gap shooting where you're trying to guess the arc you're eliminating Mm -hmm. some of some of that guesswork the problem with that is finding that so like you've got a string walk for every 5 10 15 20 25 yards right and finding those gaps or finding that string walk location is challenging and it takes a lot of time so what i did was i learned about a method called the fixed crawl and so that's combining gap shooting and string crawling and basically what it is you start at five yards and you find you start walking the string so essentially what i'm doing is i'm string crawling down to a point where when i aim point on i'm aiming like center of the target at the bullseye i'm gonna hit six inches high and i'm doing that's calculated to do that so basically when i walk back five yards 10 yards 15 yards to 20 yards i want to hit between four to eight inches high if i'm aiming aiming at the center of the target with that fixed crawl location so i'm my three fingers are on the same spot on the bowstring every time that way when i'm at 20 yards or less i pull back I aim on a deer, for example. This is mostly for on deer. You aim at like bottom of the chest. So if the deer's broadsided, it's the white part of their chest. You aim the tip of the arrow right there on the white part of their chest. And because you've already, you've taken all the guesswork out, that arrow is going to go right into the center of the vitals because that's your gap. Your gap is already built in. You don't, there's no guesswork with that. So basically you're going to aim six to eight inches low, and then you're going to hit right in the center. At 25 yards, because that's my point on distance, I'm going to aim right where I wanted the arrow to go, and it's going to go there. So I have my fixed crawl set up at 25 yards. So I know at 25 yards, I aim the tip of my arrow wherever I want it to go, it's going to go there. And anything less than that, I need to aim a little bit low, and that way I'll be exactly where I need to be. And then if you go to 30 yards and, and whatever, like, let's say if, I, if my point on aim point is uh, 25, at 30 yards, I aim at, like, the top of the deer's back. And then the arc of the arrow will put it right into the, the vital point um, on a deer. So, and then, at, you know, at 40 yards, too, it's the same idea. But um, that's essentially, like I said, the quick and dirty explanation of gap shooting uh string crawling and the fixed crawl method which i learned i watched a documentary it was a two-hour documentary all about traditional archery and this guy was talking about the fixed crawl so um (laughs) did i lose you yet (laughs) no i mean that makes sense it seems like it's less guesswork and that's basically all it is is trying to be more ethical 
when you go out into the woods, the whole idea, and if it's not your idea, then you shouldn't be going out to hunt, is to be as ethical as possible. So if I go out, I'm going to take a shot on a deer. I want to make, I want to give myself the best percentage of chance to put it down quickly. And this takes out a lot of that um, mm-hmm. guesswork. Granted, instinctive archery is a little more fun because, like, instinctive archery, you just like, you know, it's typically the split finger draw. You just kind of draw the bow back and you kind of, you look where you want to shoot. You look at the target. It's kind of like basketball. You look at the target and you just shoot, which is fun. And it's, a lot, it's easier in a lot of ways, but it just takes a lot more practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the idea that has tried to been instilled with instinctive archery is it's like shooting a basketball. Eventually, you just know you just know the distance that you have to you know what you have to do to shoot the basketball from 10 feet from 20 feet. Um, mm-hmm. Your brain just understands that. So that's instinctive archery in a nutshell is basically like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. I mean, you, you talked about the, the ethics of hunting and being ethical when you go out there so let's kind of go down that path sure um what uh i guess i don't know if this is actually ethics i guess the i mean a lot of people have the idea that hunting is evil or Mm. it's it's like cruel to the animal yeah what do you have to say about that yeah i um i'm an animal lover at heart and killing anything for me is a challenge. I like when I was younger, I used to cry a uh, scene in Braveheart when the horses charge into the wooden pikes and stuff. And I just I'm an animal lover. And so um, for a long time, I did think hunting was bad. And growing up, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. And I wasn't raised to believe that hunters were killers. Um, but that was the sort of held belief was it was unnecessary. We can just go to the store and pick up our meat, which is already prepackaged and ready to go. And the older that I've gotten and the more I've learned about, especially our food industry is we're really disconnected from where our food actually comes from. And we've talked about this, like talking about Apsi farms and, and shopping for regenerative agriculture, pastured meats and stuff like that. Uh, the meat that we actually get most of the time in the store, unless you're buying pastured meats from wherever, is not raised in a way that we should be happy about. And when you look at a deer or an elk or whatever, the big game species that 90% of Americans hunt, they live a life that is as close to free as it can possibly be. And they, and they arguably live you know, a a natural good life. Um, Mm -hmm. I had this conversation with someone not too long ago about hunting and they just, they didn't understand why it was necessary. And I asked them to tell me how, what I was doing when, you know, at this point I was, uh, you know, talking about rifle hunting. When I put a deer down in 10 seconds with a bullet, is that more or less cruel than deer who get hit on the side of the road and go and they rot or when they get eaten alive or they die of starvation or whatever. Um, is that more or less cruel than what I'm doing and bringing that meat home to sustain me, to sustain my family? Um, and I think anyone would agree that it's not more cruel to do that. Um, yeah. 
ethically, I don't super is, agree that, with. That, that is the ethics of it, though. That is the ethics because, yeah. like, the world is full of those types of scenarios. I mean, it's the yeah. the trolley on the train tracks. Do you do you change this the the route to save one old person, right? Or do you cha- or, or like three? Do you change the route just to to save three old people versus saving a baby, right? You know, it's like we're full of those ethic dilemmas. Is the deer is it better to put it down with a bullet quickly and actually use it, or mm-hmm. let it get hit by a car, or let it you know get eaten by a wolf or or coyotes yeah. or something that's yeah cruel and that's nature, but we're a yep. part of nature too. Yeah, yeah. I think that like that was my main shift is realizing that nature is not this like happy little fun place that we sort of grew up to believe it was with Disney movies and Bambi and you know, whatever. It's not like that. It's, it's kill or be killed. And, um, these animals, if they overpopulate, they starve to death. And, um, in some areas, like if it's in a higher predator area, coyotes eat them alive uh wolves eat them alive i mean like it's just unpleasant and so it's yeah i mean pick your poison but that's the way nature is and the the meat that you buy at the store from cows that were raised in you know uh massive factory farms scared their whole lives i mean that's just horrific and um I try to encourage anyone who actually feels that way about hunting to like get out and try it, you know, get out into the woods and experience it yourself um, and see if that changes your mindset. And it might not, but at least you can you can kind of have a little better understanding of what you're talking about, because that was me. I was I was that person that didn't believe it was necessary. Like, why do you need to kill your food? But that's what humans have done for thousands of years. I remember the first time I went out little side story but the first time i went out hunting uh it was with an ex-girlfriend's family and they had a beautiful setup up north and we were just wrapping up for the or morning hunt during rifle season and her grandpa had just shot a deer and he said you know bring the gator over whatever and so we drive over there and this deer was not dead yet mm-hmm. and so it was on the ground you could still see it breathing and i'm like this city boy 22 year old kid who had no idea what this was going to be like and it expired in front of me and i was like oh my god what did i just see and then we were taking pictures with it because it was a nice buck and i'm like what is happening right now and then it got even worse this was like a nightmare they took it out into the bushes and i watched them gut it in like two and it happened quick in like two seconds they took all the guts out and then 10 minutes later i was eating the heart they cooked up the heart and we were eating i was like what the fuck just happened to my life right now and it didn't make me it didn't make me want to stop but it was definitely like this is the cost of this decision um and i experienced that firsthand last year and you know it's it's definitely something that sticks with you yeah probably you know if you grew up I i didn't grow up hunting but i did grow up around it have never killed a deer, never had to gut a deer, but been around people, close friends that have very yeah. often. And I've been lucky enough to have like really good people that I know be hunters. Yeah. I'm not exposed to like jackasses. Right. Uh, 
And I don't want to say maybe you become desensitized after a while, but also our brain definitely desensitizes to help us get through things like yes. that. Yes. Where you can just do it and you don't think twice. And you're not, you don't have that shock value every time. Because mm-hmm. if you had that shock value every time, you'd be having to go home and repair and, and yeah. ther- do some therapy to get over it, to go do it again. You know? So yeah. there is that, that shock that kind of goes away that I'm I think sure though, any good person would go through. There's part of it. I think that if there's not a little bit of you that doesn't feel guilty, if you go out and you harvest yeah, an yeah. animal, if there's a part of you that doesn't feel guilty, then you should probably reevaluate some things in your life to be honest. Like I know some people who it's like, Oh, it's just an animal. Like I'm like, bro, like that's just the wrong way to look at it. Like that's a living being who has given its life yeah. for you. And for whoever you decide to, to feed that meat to, they have given their life to further your own. And that's an honorable thing, an honorable sacrifice. And it should be treated that way. And um, the two deer that I had last year, I took a moment and thanked them for their sacrifice and, and just had, you know, just had a moment with them. And I don't think that that necessarily like, makes it right if you want to like if you're going to put judgment on that but that's the way that i think that their sacrifice should be honored um yeah and like i said i'm going out there to deliver the most ethical kill shot that i can and um not waste the opportunity not waste the meat and so there's a lot of shots that I haven't taken because I didn't feel comfortable and I don't want to wound an animal for no reason. So, um, that's a huge part of it. I think hunters are like, you talk about like hunters maybe being like bloodthirsty or whatever. Like I think most hunters are the biggest like proponents of conservation. We value outdoor spaces a lot because that's where recreation comes from. And for me, like hunting is just another reason to get outside and it's another way that you get taught lessons and it, and it humbles you in a lot of ways because you are not the master of your environment when you're out sitting in the woods by yourself. You can, you can try to be as much as possible, but ultimately, you know, if deer don't, if deer don't want you to see them or, you know, or you don't outsmart them in some way that you won't see them. So it is very humbling in that way. So. I th- okay, so I have a side question. You mentioned most hunters are proponents of conservation. Uh, in Michigan, they just had that new law enacted in last year or this year where you have to, every single deer that's taken has to be reported like within yeah. 72 hours. Have yep. you found people like pretty much on board for that or have you found people like complaining? Um, it's hard to say because the, pe- the people who complain, who have been complaining far outweigh the people who are like, Sweet. Sounds good. But I think the majority of Michigan hunters are totally okay with it. But the ones who don't like it are the loud ones who make it seem yeah. like they're the majority. If yeah, that makes sense. I think that's a good answer. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good answer. And realistically, so, I, mean, I follow the... Go ahead. Yeah, like most other states, especially in the Midwest, do some form or another of mandatory reporting of harvest. And so when you look at it, people like... People complain that the Michigan deer herd isn't being managed properly by the DNR, right? And they're like, well, there's no deer in the state, and blah, blah, blah. And then 
when the state of Michigan is like, hey, because in the past it's been voluntary. Like every year they send out a voluntary survey and it's like, hey, can you report your deer harvest, where it was harvested, what you, you know, what was it? It's, you know, so on and so forth. And then when then nobody does it or not everybody does it, they don't have the data. And I think that's what we're seeing with this is it's a push to get numbers and get data because to have good deer management, you do have to have this data and it comes from the hunters. But a lot of people are just complaining that it's government overreach and why does the state need to know? And, and those are the types of people that honestly, they're the ones that probably shouldn't be hunting because I'm sure they're probably like poaching and they don't want to fess up to it or whatever. And I have no problem with it. It makes 100% sense. And it's not because I'm a DNR employee. It's because I'm a logical human being that understands like they're trying their best to manage the deer herd and they need information to do that. Yeah. I think that's something too that we've talked about this on the last episode. We talked about hunting with seasons and stuff. And it's not just a bloodbath where you have to yeah. get a tag to take an animal. They yeah. only give out a certain number of tags based on population. So if you don't right. know the population, you don't know what, how many tags to give out. So yeah, it makes, it seems easy enough. You just go online and do a quick little thing and then they know. Yeah. Well, and and people, people are like, data. you want to have a free for all on game species? Like, man, we've done that before. And how many animals uh, in this country alone have we almost driven to extinction? You know what I mean? Like elk, buffalo, yeah. deer at one point were way over harvested in the entire country. Um, and, I mean, every game, every big game species essentially has faced at one point or another, uh, you know, extermination, at least in the United States, because yeah. when there's no rules put to it, people do whatever they want and they can't help themselves. And there's, you know, so it's just, it, you can, you can love to hate it, whatever, but it's, it's a necessary thing. And as long as you play within the rules, yeah. there's plenty, there's plenty for everybody. And actually the reason, like right now you can get a lot of tags in Michigan. Like I believe in some counties you can get up to 10 antlerless tags. So that's doe tags. Basically part of that is the pretty like substantial and continuous decline in hunting pop, like hunters that are going out every year. So deer populations continue to rise and hunting hunter populations are continuing to drop. Like people our age and younger um, just aren't into it uh, as much as the, some of the older folks. And so hunters also provide valuable conservation of and management of the species. Um, so it's just a, it's a, it's a complicated game that really isn't that complicated, but people make it so with their political leanings and all that. Yeah. That is an interesting point that there are just fewer hunters. Yeah. And now the deer populations are rising. I mean, that's, yeah. that totally makes sense. Where our light, our world is so easy now just to get the meat and all the substance we need. Uh, that reasoning is almost completely gone for mm-hmm. someone who just wants to like stay fed and alive. Right. Yeah. Uh, now it's, it's just like the challenge for you. It's the challenge or to have, uh, uh, just the experience of being outside in nature is probably another good reason, or it's always been a family tradition, things like that. Right. Maybe but there's another reason. I th- I don't know if most most people that probably listen will listen to this won't hunt. They'll probably never hunt, um, uh, whether by choice or just access or anything. Sure. But they're 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 going to benefit from dead animals. Mm-hmm. 
by the means of the grocery store or something like that. So I think one thing that turned me, because I think I've fallen into that category where I probably won't hunt. Maybe somewhere down the road, uh, I might We're try We're going to get again. you out there. Maybe. I've, I mean, my whole life, at least every like one to three years, someone has been trying, mm-hmm. um, whether it's you or some of my old friends in the past. And it's just like, I don't know, you know, why? I kind of like the reasons you explained earlier. I don't want to kill anything. I grew up with, my dad was always like, you know, I went out hunting, but I never wanted to kill anything. I couldn't do yeah. that. Yep. And, uh, and, and I get that. So, but I benefit from dead animals. My dad benefit from dead animals. Almost everybody that's right. I mean, obviously not a vegan will benefit from that. So they benefit via like farmed animals, whether yep. that's farmed cows, pigs, chickens, farmed deer, there's deer farms, yeah. there's elk farms. Um, yep. So the difference <laughs> that swayed me was this farmed versus wild animals and the nutrient makeup of that whether even wild cows that are considered wild like at apsy farms like that are free to roam and be cows those are mm. almost as wild of cows you're going to get at this but point yeah the the idea of a wild deer the nutrient makeup of that deer who's has to get out there in the wild to survive and has to avoid coyotes and avoid death and eat berries and grass and whatever the fuck else eats and yeah, shit whatever it can. And grows other yep. plants and it's using its muscles to jump and run and sprint and hide and doing all these things. That's an animal. That's the meat that you as a human want to eat because that has the most nutrients versus mm. like a farmed deer or a farmed cow that sits on a fucking, basically sits in a, a lazy boy chair all day, the equivalent, right? I mean, they get, <laughs> they get their tits squeezed, they get their whatever grain, whatever they eat, and they get like how much space? Probably is like next to nothing, no space to roam around that's yeah. grassy at least. Every cow I see out here has just like dirt. They're not in yep. any grass. It's just dirt, which is yeah. just sad. They get like hay shipped in or whatever. Yeah. And, and so I have that like idea of it's who's like a fitter human, someone who gets out in the wild and works out, eats healthier, jumps, runs, lifts, sprints, uh, walks more. That's right. kind of like the wild deer, the wild cow versus the, the person who's sedentary on medications, yeah. not doing anything. That's like our farmed factory cow. So like, yeah. who do you want to be? Which one do you want to intake and get? So I think that, that is a huge point for, for listeners coming from this and that there is an end game to the hunt, which is like the really good meat. Mm-hmm. And like the process leading up to that is like what you're explaining. Um, yep. I think that that's a huge take home because it was a huge take home for me. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up like we've already covered. I didn't grow up hunting. None of my friends hunted. It wasn't a thing. And, um, that's been the, probably the biggest thing that I like about the hunting process outside of the, the, just getting into nature more is the connection Mm -hmm. that I gain with my food. Um, eating is a different experience when it's something that you've harvested yourself and it, feels different it tastes different it it's it's just a i think it's better because that's the way i think nature intends it to be and so yeah it's not about killing an animal right like that's something like i i don't like killing animals i don't like fetishize the the killing of an animal but i i do enjoy the outcome of it 
and I feel better about eating that than a chicken or a cow or a pig that was raised in, in like we said, one of those factory farms. Like, I don't feel bad about eating a cow from Apsy Farms or a pig from Apsy Farms, but when you go to any grocery store, whatever, deli meat, what, I mean, all that, any restaurant, like, I, that's, that's why I would encourage everyone to, to try to even just talk to a hunter and get to know them. Um, because I think, yeah, probably the large majority of our listenership probably aren't hunters. Um, and that's, it's definitely something that I think everyone should experience and not because you should kill something because it connects you to the world in a way that a lot of people don't experience in today's day and age. So, and that's the big reason I want to take you out there. Cause I know you, you're, we're very similar in the way that we don't want to kill things. We like animals. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an experience that even if you never did it again, you could at least say that you had. And I think yeah, that's that, valuable. I, Steve Rinelli actually did a podcast on, uh, brute, I think it was brute strength podcast years mm-hmm. ago. And he talked about how people are disconnected with nature and all, all the things we yeah. said earlier and how some people might already know that. He said, when you go out into the wilderness, say you're going on like a, a backpacking trip or, or an overnight hiking or overnight hunting trip, when you go out there and you visualize that, does that person look more like an astronaut or does that person look more like someone who knows the woods and just goes? Yeah. Most of us look more like astronauts, like we're going to a different planet. When yeah. we go out into the woods, we've got packs and all everything. We look like we're trying to take the city into the woods. So he's just like, it's totally disconnected. I was like, man, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And he went on to talk about, you know, everyone should at least kill one deer throughout their life or be around it, whether they pull the trigger or whatever or not, be around some sort of uh, hunt just to like get that feeling. Because I think when he took maybe his first deer or some, some elk, I can't remember what the story was. He was like, something like broke his heart and mm, like totally yeah. opened his eyes. Uh, I can't remember, but I'll have to send the podcast to you. Um, that would be like the reason just to have that experience. And also what you said, the ability to pull out a package of venison from my freezer and make like chili or something way more rewarding and more of an emotional experience, which, which eating should be than whatever ground beef from Meyer or something mm-hmm. or Walmart, you know, that's a given. Yeah. Um, I guess if, uh, what do you, we're going to have more episodes on hunting coming up with some hunters, like what you said in the beginning and yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think people are going to, what would you say to someone who's probably never hunted? Why should they listen to those? What do you think they're going to get from it? Um, I think that if nothing else, so it all centers around what the weekly warrior is about and that's connection and developing these, developing these new relationships. And this is just another way to do that in a different means. So by listening to these experiences and these stories, and even if we're talking about like gear or whatever, it connects you and it helps you learn about a new thing that maybe you didn't know about. And part of making something less scary or less evil in some ways, if you don't agree with it, is learning more about it. And I think in in today's world, that's what we need is less stereotyping, less assuming, and more 
non-judgmental observation and learning experience. That's a great answer. The in-person experience is totally different than reading or hearing about something and making mm-hmm. a judgment. And we do that so often, more often than we even think. I know I do. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong. There's it. some hunters out there that if I had the opportunity to, I would probably hit them because they drive around in trucks. <laughs> they drink bush light. They blast country music, you know, and they see a deer. They get out of their truck. They try to shoot at it. You know what I mean? Like, that's super yeah. wrong. And I and I'm never going to say that that's cool. Like it, I like hunting with a crossbow. I can be like, you know what? That has its place. Hunting like that that people do or the people who say if it's brown it's down or whatever like with no forethought to how conservation works or how management works like that's where i take issue and that's i think that's a lot of people's stereotype is the dude with smelly you know camouflage that's getting out of his truck with beer cans flying out you know what i mean and um hunters that take it seriously have a respect and appreciation for nature and light and for life because you can you you see the fragility of life right in front of you on a regular basis, yeah. including your own. There are times where like, dude, you're out there in the wilderness, like, it, like shit can happen to you at any time. And that's part of, I mean, that's part of the fun in a lot of ways is like it, you're connected to that like wild aspect yeah. that we don't get a chance to connect to very often. That's cool. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. I think I see this uh, mission unfolding where your 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 mission is going to be to professionalize like the the hunter the idea of a hunter and make them be seen as what I've seen them as too throughout my life is like professional providers and conservationists. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, a re- that, that's a good provi- way to put you're, it. You're providing, yeah, you're yeah. providing for other people and yourself and and for the nature and the wellness of the species. So I that's see a- that unfolding, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's a great way. Like professionalize. I don't want to say like I'm never going to be a professional hunter, but when I go out into the woods, right. it's business and it I'm here to do a job and do it well. And I'm I'm here to have fun too. Like don't get me wrong, but all of the things that lead up to a successful hunt is fun for me. Um and I take it very seriously because I understand the weight of the life that is in your hands at any given moment. Yeah. Do you have anything else at the end here to add? No. Um, the only thing I'll say is if you listen to this and you have questions or comments or you want to debate something, like I'm, I'm here for it. I'd like to hear about it. Um, I'm very new to this. I'm a self-taught hunter in the last couple of years, so I'm by no means an expert, but... I feel that I have a pretty good grounds of knowledge and I'm excited to see where the journey is going to go. So stay tuned because we're going to have some cool episodes coming with this branch of, of what we're going to be doing here. Yeah, that's great. Cool. This was episode 150 of the weekly warrior podcast. 150. 150, man. We we were, we there and we did it. Sick. So yeah, enjoy this episode. Uh, leave a rating and review at the bottom, iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're at, and we will go to originusa.com. Buy some USA made camo. USA, USA. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>